Hello, it's Brody. I love bringing mummification to you each week, and if you'd like to support me to keep doing that, you can make a once-off donation through the Acast supporter feature. There's no regular subscription, and your donation will help pay our music license, buy audio gear, and put fuel in my car so I can keep interviewing the amazing women who share their stories with us. There's a link in the show description and episode show notes. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Mummification. I'm your host, Brody Matner. This podcast is a space for women and parents to talk about how they're feeling. And sometimes they feel like swearing. So this episode may not be suitable for young ears. <laughs> I'm nervous. Are you? Yes. Oh, maybe nervous is the wrong word. I was thinking about it and I was thinking, if anyone else asked me, I'd probably think twice about it. And then I thought, I've made an entire career and a life for 15 years out of asking people and begging people to tell me their stories and then share them with the world. So I think it would have been a dick move to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I make lots of other people do this, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. Like, what and like how person. hard is it to get people to say yes? Yeah, really hard. Personal stuff is hard, I think. Like I've never, ever, ever talked publicly about anything personal. Interesting. I know. Well, I've never had the opportunity. Why would I? Fuck I'm it. the one asking the question. Fuck it up. It's like a... No, it's just... Stephanie yeah. March expose. No, it's just... I mean, like, I barely post on social media. I don't know. It's really weird. Anyway. <laughs> Nervous. <laughs> Stephanie March, who I'm chatting to today... <laughs> Is a journalist and foreign correspondent, and as such, for the last 15 years, um, she's lived all over the world, from East Timor to India to Washington, D.C. I've probably left some places out. Oh, Solomon Islands. <laughs> that was nice. Um, and she moved back to Australia a few years ago, and now is mum to Harriet, one. Yes, one and two weeks. Happy birthday, Harry. Oh, thanks. She's pretty cute. She's the cutest. She I'm... really liked cake on her first birthday. <laughs> she thought it was great. She's definitely my daughter. <laughs> um, so Steph and I have been friends for nearly 30 years. Mm. Um, so if I sound presumptive while we're talking, <laughs> that's why. I did just want, while we're here, because I'm in Melbourne and I haven't been here for two years, thanks to the pandemic, um, but I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we're recording this podcast on, which are the Bunurong people, um, and I'd also like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Thank you. Now, if you were stuck on a desert island and you could take one meal 
one drink and one personal item, what would they be? I've been thinking about this since you started your podcast. So I've cycled through a lot of options. I thought for a drink, maybe Aperol Spritz because it's delicious and if you're stuck on a desert island by yourself, it doesn't matter if you're off trend by about 12 months, which I pretty much am by still <laughs> drinking Aperol Spritzes. So that's one option. But then I thought, no, there's nothing, nothing makes me happier than a cup of black English breakfast tea in the morning. Really? Yeah, great amounts of joy. Okay. Um, so I think I probably have to have an English breakfast tea for food and I can hear the collective groan amongst my friends. I would take a big loaf of sourdough bread with like butter. I thought you were going to say salad. Bread's good. No, that's an (laughs) awful idea. Salad grows on islands. Um, bread doesn't. And like, uh, like coarse sea salt sprinkled on top of it. Yeah. I know it's simple, but I feel like you could really meditate over that way <laughs> with your English breakfast cup of dirt water, wondering when the boat's going to pick you up. And then for my item, I've also thought about this a lot too. The selfish option would be I'd get Luke, my husband, partner, husband for convenience, and my daughter, Harriet, and I'd gaffer tape them together to make them one item. <laughs> It's a really good trick when you're travelling on a plane together. and you've only got one bag <laughs> but you want to take two. You just take them together. Take them on. But I don't think that's very nice because I don't think Luke and Harriet would like to be stuck on a desert island with me and my crusty piece of bread. <laughs> so my other option was going to be a fully loaded Kindle but a lot of people have said that and it's predictable for a journalist. So I think I take my drawing things. Oh, okay. My p- pencils and my sharpener and my piece of paper and stuff. Who was the early explorer who did lots of drawings of wildlife? Darwin? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But it could be me. It could be you. It better be an interesting island. It would. It could be whatever whatever kind of island you would like it to be. I I assume it's a nice one. I could just draw Wilson the volleyball for 365 (laughs) days when someone comes. Now, when you had Harry, Mm. I thought quite a lot about this at the time because you are often the smartest person in the room. That's a bit nice. It's true. You should come into my workplace. That's <laughs> not the case. In this room, you're the smartest <laughs> person in the room. And if you're if there's something you don't know, you're able to find out the answer. But when you have a baby, there's either not one answer or there's no answer. Yes. How did you go with that? The birth part or the taking the baby home part? Oh, let's do both. The birth part, I think I kind of treated that a bit like work in terms of researching as much as I could, learning as much as I could, talking to people like yourself, um, and then again realising that there's a million different options. And, I mean, the best thing someone said to me was, you know, you can have a birth plan but babies don't read birth plans um, and they don't. And so, but I did read a lot and I I kind of thought I just, the other thing, you know, I I suppose I'm quite sceptical as a journalist um, I think we, ha- we live in a great country with a great health system, but I do like to interrogate things quite a lot. So I did a lot of research about statistics and, you know, and I was so shocked at how high caesarean rates are across Australia um, and in the hospital I gave birth in in Sydney. Um, and I can't remember them now, but they're sort of in the 40 to 50% range for someone 38 my age, which I just think, you know, I'm perfectly healthy. The only thing about me that is an outlier in terms of perfect, you know, physical health to have a baby was my age. And I just thought this, you know, and they want to induce you, you know, at, at 
10 days, you know, if you're over. And I just, I didn't, I did a lot of reading about that and I had a doula and she was great. And I also need to, you know, acknowledge the fact that I'm really lucky that I'm healthy and I'm, you know, a very privileged person and I could afford to have the time and, you know, access the information to do all that. Anyway, so I did a lot of research and stuff and I felt like I was kind of going into that with a lot of knowledge, knowing it would probably all go out the window on the day. But I did use all that information. Like I pushed my induction a few days over, much to the displeasure of the hospital, because I just kind of knew, I was like, I I think she's going to, well, didn't know it was a she then, but I was like, I just think it's going to happen. And I don't know why I need to be induced at 10 days. Nothing is telling me. I mean, it's, it is risky. You know, there's reasons that hospitals have those policies, but I was like, no, I think I'm going to wait. Um, and I did, and I was comfortable with that decision. And then, you know, in labour, which, you know, that can be a story for another day, but yeah, it all goes out the window and you just scream the house down and eventually the baby comes out and it's <laughs> like you've just been put through a washing machine and hit over the head with a club. Um, so that, I think, prepared me for kind of the variables of what can happen, like doesn't come on time, maybe you be induced, all these things. But then once Harriet arrived, oh, my gosh, it was like I just I, – the, the biggest problem and the biggest um, – sort of benefit I think of my entire working life as a journalist and foreign correspondent um, that really hindered me and it really helped me in the way I approached being a mum for the first time in that everything about her I saw as a problem to be fixed because everything in my working life is a problem that has to be fixed. If someone pulls out an inter- out of an interview, you've got to find someone else. If the plane doesn't take off on time, you've got to find another plan of how you're going to get there. Like my whole life is problem solving. And with a baby, you know, Often, as you say, there is no answer. There's no, and I found that really hard. And Luke, my partner, was just like, "You just got to realise that babies are babies, and they're going to cry, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that." But I also think it did push me to keep reading and keep learning and trying to find tactics and possible solutions to challenges, not problems. Children aren't problems; they're just children, yeah, and they're challenging, yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, read a lot, blah, 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 you know, and things like we ended up sleep training um, and that worked really well for us. And we've ended up, you know, some of the parenting tactics we have are from books and, you know, being in lockdown and I didn't grow up around lots of little kids. So kind of books and friends are the only way I've sort of been able to navigate this motherhood business. And so I think my, my, this is a really long answer to a simple question, but like my desire to get as much information as I can and then make a decision has helped me and hindered me. In a lot of ways. How's it helped you? Well, I think the sleep training thing is good and the way I've kind of read a lot about that and it's sort of helped me f- and also just Harriet crying. Like I was really uncomfortable with her crying. It's an awful It's sound. the worst and babies cry and sometimes it's because they need something and sometimes they just do and I really struggle with that but particularly when we couldn't get her to sleep and we would – those first four months we were feeding her to sleep, we were rocking her to sleep, we were singing her to sleep, we were pushing her in the pram to sleep, we were doing all those things. And she would scream for ages, like minutes, hours, you know, it was just awful. And then I kind of, you know, reading and diff- lots of different books and different sort of philosophies and ideas and some of them you chuck out because you don't agree with it and some of them stick and you think about them more. And I just realised when we did sleep training we didn't do cry it out of control crying or anything, we sort of just the, the crux of it is you put her down, say goodnight, and if she's crying after three minutes, you go back in and you sit with her until she falls asleep. And she'd cry sometimes for up to like 20 minutes. But I kind of got it into my head from reading a lot that, you know, it's it's your job, well, I felt it's my job as her mum to prevent her from suffering 
but help her through struggle. And learning how to sleep is a struggle for babies, apparently. I did not know that until I had one. (laughs) Why is it so hard? I know. You're tired. Just close your eyes. Exactly. And I just didn't realise that that's something you have to learn how to do. As a human, crazy. It's crazy. Design for massive design <laughs> for. Um, so anyway, so reading a lot and kind of thinking about things a lot, the way I usually do about work stuff, I think really helped me come to some conclusions that have made it easier for me to, you know, find ways to parent that I'm comfortable with that work for mm. us. If that makes sense. How's it hindered you? Oh my god! Because there's so many things that there is no solution to, and there's no book, and there's no amount of googling, and there's no amount of talking to other mums that's gonna, you know, find a solution to it. And babies are so different, and like it's a day by day proposition, mm. like what the challenge is of the day. And so you might think you've solved one thing, and then the next thing comes up, and it's or the one thing that works one day doesn't work the next. And I still struggle with that sometimes. Like, yeah. and Luke's just, Luke's just like you've just got to kind of roll with it. And I'm just – I get there eventually, but often it's like (gasps) – kind of, you know, roll with it. I was was scrolling back. So um, Steph and I, along with another very close girlfriend, we have a WhatsApp group called Interstate Mothers Group because they're both in Sydney and I'm in Melbourne. And I scrolled all the way back to when you had Harry. Um, And we we message so much. (laughs) (laughs) It took me so long. But one of the things that came up quite a lot in those really early days was that there's, there's you know, you would ask a question and Michelle and I would both offer our experience or feedback and they'd be, they'd be different. Yeah. And we'd all sit there saying, well, you can try this, you can try this, you can try this, yeah. but all of the information's so conflicting. Yeah. And like you know, with your with with feeding, mm. you know, machine would say, "That's we call our friend Michelle." Machine, she would say, "You know, pump a little bit if your boobs are too full." And you'd say, "The maternal health nurse told me not to pump because it's just going to encourage mm. more milk to come." And it, you know, and you said, yeah. "All of the information is so conflicting." Yeah, and I've written, "Stop googling." And I did and from that point on. It was the best thing I did. Google is terrible. It's terrible. Books and other people. Great. I know books are just like old-fashioned Google, but it gives you more time to consider it. And you can't keep – if you've got a book in front of you, you can't keep shopping around for the answer that fits. Yeah. You've got one thing to deal with in your mind at the time. Yeah. Um, but I did give up Googling then and that was great advice. Thank you for that. Interstate well, okay. Group and Brody. That's because I did my nut yeah. in Googling when I had Marley. But I think as well that period of time, the first four months, the sleep deprivation is – just torture and I've had a lot of sleep deprivation in my professional life like going you know in America my posting to Washington you know I'd get woken up at four in the morning you know there's been a mass shooting on the other side of the country get on the first plane at 6am and then I'd be up for 24 hours reporting and then I'd sleep for four hours and then I'd be up for 20 hours and I'd sleep for four hours and we do that for a week and then I'd come home and I'd flop into a heap on my couch and watch Netflix for two days but with a baby you don't get to flop on your couch there's and watch no, Netflix for two days. No it just keeps going. And I didn't realise until I had a baby how much sleep deprivation affects everything. And I got so angry at people who would say sleep when the baby sleeps because for me that just didn't work, just wasn't a thing. But we were about four months in and I was beside myself and Luke just said, we need to get you more sleep. And mm. finally I kind of went, yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so he's sort of doing a dream feed and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and which I can't even remember what other things we did, but it made the world of difference just being able to get more sleep. And that's when things like stop Googling, go with your gut, don't worry about the conflicting information, all, all seemed like completely fine realities to deal with. But when you're sleep deprived, conflicting information, all that stuff, it's just overwhelming and it's, it's torture in itself, I think. Mm. Mm. With the with not being able to problem solve, mm. problem solve is not a, is not the right term because as you said, babies aren't problems. Yeah, with not being able to challenge solve, <laughs> um, that's that's also a, a massive loss of control. Yeah, because all of a sudden there is this new entity that you have zero control over, and you've well, I suppose most people, a, a lot of people have a lot of control over their lives and situations leading up to the point that they have kids. How did you cope with not always having control? At times not very well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's such a good question, bro. I think, yeah, I think at times it was hard, particularly with the sleeping and her crying and her not sleeping, I found that really challenging. And that's when I say maybe it hindered that sometimes I was just trying too hard to find an answer when there wasn't one. Mm. in the moment, I think, like, overall you can find, you know, um, solutions to challenges or ways to deal with them. But in the moment when something's really acute, I found that really hard because, as I said, that's what my job is. It's like finding really acute solutions to really acute problems that are happening in real time. And, yeah, I found that really difficult. But I also think having a baby has made me a much better person and probably a much better journalist in that it has opened this, yeah, sort of part of my brain to the idea that, you know, not everything can be fixed, can be solved, can be changed, can be controlled, um, and sometimes you just have to surrender. Another piece of advice from you, Brody, was just surrender. The sooner you do it, the happier you'll be, and it's very true. And so I think, yeah, finding that balance of sometimes if something's really, yeah, really not working and you try and find something but the little day-to-day things that you're just like I just can't you know at the moment Harriet's very you know clingy separation anxiety you know all that sort of stuff and it's it would be great to find a way to make it more manageable but it's like it's face it's just face just passing can't do anything about it I'll just roll with it which is something I don't think a year ago me would have been able to do so I thank her for teaching me how to be a more patient person who's able to surrender to the uncertainties and the lack of control it's a pretty big one Mm. how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now, before you went on mat leave, mm. you were in your dream job mm. um, and you were at the top of your field. How was it to then go to a job of where you have no idea what you're doing and, and you're learning on the job mm. but there's not a manual? How was that? Because it's a big shift. Yeah, massive shift. I think... Um, yeah, it's a job you can't prepare for. I mean, it's similar to what we've been, yeah. what we've been talking about. It's a job you can't prepare for, but it's the best job to train on the tools, so to speak, <laughs> um, because you just have to. Yeah, there's, you, there's not an option. Yeah, there's no option. You can't hand it back. Unfo- well, no, no, I'd never say unfortunately, but there are times when you want to hand it back. Yeah, for a bit of time, not forever. Yeah, not for keepsies, but like just go just away for, for a day. Um, just sorry, yesterday, Harry. I I was upstairs with the girls, and Leith was downstairs, and I called him. I said, Leith, and he came upstairs. He was like, "What?" I said, "I just I'm just, I just need to take out for a minute. I'm done. I just need a second. Yeah. He was like. Go downstairs, off you go. Yeah. And no one was doing, no one was being tricky. No. I just, it's just had enough for a minute. Yeah. And yep. I think that's, yeah, that's the thing that I find the hardest is it's just relentless and there is no end point. Mm. But that's also, again, it's another challenge that's, I think, if, as you grow to accept that and work with that, you become a bigger person as a result. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was really hard going from a job where I was, you know, yeah, in, not in control of everything, but. Yeah, it was – yeah, I knew, kind of felt like I knew what I was doing a bit more than I did by being a, with being a mum. Well, and also you you measured your self-worth mm. a lot by your success in mm. terms of career. And so how's becoming a mum changed your definition of success? Firstly, I could not believe how long it took me to delete my work email from my phone really? when I left, like the day I walked out of the building. And I think for two weeks I had it there and I'd check it every day. And I'm like, no one's emailing me. I don't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just psychologically like cutting myself off. And from the organisation that I've been in for more than a decade was just really weird. It was just – it was really difficult, especially because usually, you know, you get emails that are like – or phone calls in my job that are like – bombs going off like it's like there's been a complaint there's been a massive thing that you have to rush off and go to there's been like a literal bomb going there's off. been a literal bomb going <laughs> off that's true and so to just think that I'm just gonna stop engaging in that part of the world and my world was massive but I must say after working very hard for a decade and a half as soon as I did manage to stop checking my emails and you know just let it go oh that period of like four weeks when I was on maternity leave before Harriet was born was just amazing. And then I also think after um, she was born and as hard as it was, 
I really liked having eight months off work and being able to disconnect from that world because when you do something and it is your life and, you know, 50, 60, 70 hour weeks are my work and have been for a really long time, so it's inevitable that it's going to consume a lot of my personality, um, it was really nice to be able to kind of disconnect from that and not feel the responsibility of of that um, to the point where sometimes I felt guilty, like I wouldn't read the news for three or four days, which <laughs> is just anathema <laughs> to me. Um, but it was really nice. And it was during COVID and lockdown. I was like, oh. But I think it was good for my brain. Um, so once I kind of made the, like, call and realised that, no, no, I need to enjoy this because, you know, it's 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 the reality, mm. um, it was really nice. And just, like, life slows down with a baby for better or for worse. Like, what did they say? The days are long but the weeks are fast or something? The um, the days are long, yeah, but the years are fast. Yeah, and I, the slow days, sometimes they're mind-numbing, but just like I, I actually think I've never been fitter at the end of my maternity leave because I just walked with that pram instead yeah. of sitting on airplanes and sitting at desks and sitting on the phone, like just walking and, you know, it was great. It's really good. Well, has it – and I just thought of this now, but in your – just when you said that it's it's – changed you as a person which we're going to chat about next um you know with your job you you engage with people on topics that are challenging or they might be um what's the word what's the word like confronting yes and so you've got to ask people hard questions and you've got to push them when they perhaps don't want to answer you um, and so I imagine that there's a, an edge that you need to embrace to do your job well, which you do. And then what it is, what's it like to all of a sudden flip that and need to be so soft? Mm. And I don't want to use the word motherly but I don't know another word for it, but to, you know, like really embrace Can't be that. a hard-ass mum to Harriet yeah. and grill her. Yeah. Why are you crying? Why, Why are you like the carrots? What's wrong with the carrots? Do carrots ever do anything to you? Um, Has that been an interesting oh, it's, it brain is, flip? Let me have a think. What I do think is it's amazing how you can't remember a year ago, I you know. know, like the life before Harriet and now. But um, what I do think, I've been back at work now for maybe four months, I think. And I think that that softness that you that comes with becoming a mother and a parent is actually feeding into my work in a really good way because the 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 capacity for compassion is just so much bigger because I have asked people awful questions about when their child died or you know or like horrible mm. horrible things I've talked to people about and I've always done it with a great deal of empathy but it kind of has a whole new meaning now um, and I think that makes me better I think it makes me better at reading the reading the room so to speak like and knowing when not to push people um and also thinking about ways to kind of you know um to make someone feel comfortable talking about something as opposed to you know kind of just blurting it out and then you know it being stifling um so I think that's actually a really good thing I think it's made it, and it will make my job harder in the future, like in terms of just stories with kids have a whole different meaning now. Like that 
awful jumping castle accident in Tasmania the other week. Mm. You know, Cleo Smith going missing, all those stories that have happened over the last year to kids, you know, everything that's happening to kids every day all over the world in war zones and awful places like oh, just rips me apart. I can remember it was, you know, a massive flare-up in Gaza when um, not long after Harry was born and just pictures of kids in bombed-out homes and it was just, oh, my God, like a whole new level of wrenching. Mm. And I think that will make it harder if, you know, inevitably when I come across a story that has some element to do with a tragedy in a child. Mm. Um, And I don't know how I'll cope with that. But I do have a lot of amazing peers who I think that their being a mum has made them better at their jobs. And two particular colleagues um, who are journalists and one's been a foreign correspondent, they both said to me independently before I went on maternity leave, um, when I was worrying about how I'd come back to work, they were like, oh, it'll make you better. You'll be a better journalist and it'll make you more efficient. Oh, my God, does it make you more efficient? So efficient. <laughs> like you just get in, do your job, leave, you know, funk. Oh, everything is just, yeah, it's great. I was pretty efficient <laughs> as it was, to be honest, but now I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. So I think there are benefits that will feed into work um, from, yeah, the things you're forced to learn and the way you're forced to change when you become a parent. You lived abroad mm. and been very independent for a long time and now you're back in Australia. You have been for a couple of years now. Mm. Three years? Nearly four, I think. Oh, really? Mm. Um, and you have Harry and that's a, that's a really big change like mm. we've been discussing. How has that altered how you view yourself and your identity? I don't think I know the answer to that yet. Mm. Um because it's 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 a really hard conflict because I still love work. I still want to work as a journalist in a really full and I've gone back to a role now that's it's journalism but it's there's no travel. So um, I'm a researcher on a current affairs program as opposed to a reporter. So I do all you know deal with the same topics deal with the same stuff, but I don't have to travel. Because before I was travelling, before I had Harriet, I was travelling, you know, three weeks out of every three months. And like the year before the pandemic, I think I went I went to the States for a couple of weeks and then I went to New Zealand twice and, you know, regional New South Wales for weeks on end. Like it was just, you're just not home. And that's not, ten- for me, I couldn't get my head around how to do that with a tiny little baby. Mm. But I hope to go back to that at some mm. point in the near future. Um, but... Yeah, my identity. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's still an evolving thing. And, you know, every journalist has a bit of an ego, I guess. You're only as good as your last story is what they say, um, which is kind of... God, that's so brutal. I know. <laughs> um, which is quite, you know, that's the, whether you believe it or not, that's sort of the stuff that sits there in the back of your head. And so I don't know how I've reconciled that yet. But I do often just look at Harriet and I think, as I've already discussed, like... I, there are aspects to parenting that I approach like work for better or for worse. Mm. And I think, you know, at the end of my life, I really didn't want to cry. (laughs) I think at the end of my life, the most important story I'll ever work on is hers. So even if work become secondary and I don't get to do the types of stories or the types of jobs that I want to do, um, that just doesn't matter. And it won't be easy coming to terms with that if that's the case, but she just is the most important thing. Made you cry. 
Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's true, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, yeah, I haven't reconciled the identity stuff yet, I have to say. And Luke's and Luke, my partner, is incredibly supportive, but we're in a in a part of our lives now where, as he puts it, we've bitten off more than we can chew and we're chewing like crazy. <laughs> um, he's starting a new business. We've got a baby. I've gone back to full-time work. It's just like there's a lot of hectic going on. But he's super supportive and, you know, wants to support me to, you know, do what I can. But, you know, when you're a family, you just do what you have to do. So, mm. I don't know, talk to me in a few years. Okay. Do it like, you know, where are they now podcast in <laughs> 10 years' time. I'm like, it all Mums, where are they now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's, what's shocked you the most about becoming a mum? Mm, how much sleep deprivation is mm. changes your whole world and makes you crazy. Yeah. Sleep deprivation made me crazy mm. and unhinged <laughs> to be honest and I just yeah I just didn't know I just didn't realize that you know you can just my confidence about everything just plummeted mm. and I think I might have said to you and Michelle on one of our chats early on I couldn't believe that whenever Luke was around when Harriet was really little I was always asking him what does he think what does he think for every single thing yeah like more so than, you know, just even stuff that didn't have anything to do with her, I think, just because I had just completely lost all confidence in my ability. Yeah. And I'm, I could be indecisive, but, you know, most of the time I'm pretty good at it. And so that surprised me a lot. And I think that was all just, yeah, a product of not getting enough sleep and not letting your brain, you know, rest and then, yeah, do whatever it has to do when you're sleeping. And that, so that really shocked me. And I also thought I could handle it because of the type of work I'd done. So mm. that was, yeah, quite confronting. <laughs> but I also, you know, there was a period, as I said, where I wanted to punch people who said, sleep when the baby sleeps. Actually, your mum wrote that to me in a card when I had Marley. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry on her behalf. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it is really well-meaning and I really, that's another, not the most surprising but one of the most wonderful things about becoming a parent is it does open up doors for conversations and acts of kindness from people and strangers mm-hmm. um, and acquaintances that, you know, and, and really well-meaning stuff, some of it completely unwelcome and a hindrance. But, you know, it's really like it's really lovely how people want to help you um, and share their advice and their thoughts and stuff. Has the joy surprised you? Yeah, it really has. Like Harriet's little of- face when she laughs is the best thing ever. Yeah. It's just, and I cannot believe how... I remember in the first month she was born, I was really careful about taking photos of her because I didn't want her seeing the camera stuffed in her face all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and now I've got something, I've probably got, you know, 10,000 photos. Of her. <laughs> <laughs> I probably take a photo a day, if not more. Like, yeah. And my whole photo role is her. And, yeah, just because she does bring me such joy. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, yeah, she makes me really, really, and, like, she goes to bed and sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, thank God you're asleep. And then I find I'm sitting there looking at photos of her (laughs) just because she makes me so happy. Um, So that has been a really lovely thing. And I think as well with, it's interesting about that, like, the joy thing. When she was born, I remember, like, I loved her because she was my baby. Mm. But she was just a baby and I didn't know anything about her personality. I don't even know if she had one when she was born. Couldn't tell you. Don't know if she will either. Back then 
I loved her for what she was. Now I love her for who she is. And she's Harriet and she's fun and she's funny and she's joyful and she's entertaining and sweet and a whole bunch of fabulous things. It's so nice. <laughs> yeah. It's so nice and, uh, you know, I've known you for... 30 years. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've sort of, you know, we've been through lots of different stages together and especially for the last two years because I haven't met Harry yet. Um, Steph and I haven't seen each other for two years because of COVID and interstate and blah, blah. But I meet Harry um, on Tuesday. Yay. Um, which I'm very excited about. But, you know, I didn't get to see you pregnant and now I haven't. Wasn't that pretty? Lots of And now I haven't seen you be a mum in, you know, like I haven't seen you mm. with Harry. And so to sit here and talk to you mm. about it, it's really nice. Obviously, we've spoken a lot about yeah. it, just you know, generally. But it's it a bit cut before the horse, though, isn't it? Like you haven't met her. <laughs> we are just talking about it. It's weird. I don't feel like I haven't met her. You know, like yeah. I've yeah, I've seen the thousands of photos and videos. But so you I, have a purpose. But I, I'm very excited about oh. squidging her. In yeah, person. she's pretty squidgy. But it is. I haven't met June either. Like it amazes oh me. I know it stuns me. We've got to meet the babies. <sighs> Thanks, COVID. He'll love her. Yeah, she's super cute. Um, but it is really nice. It's like I'm seeing you in this light for the first time, Aww. probably. And it's it's really nice. <laughs> uh, this is a just wait till me. you see me lose my marbles when she has a tantrum. <laughs> And all the joy gets sucked out of the room. No, not really. Oh, dear. Um, is it what you expected? I don't know what I expected. I, mm. See, I've read that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. It was oh, dumb. Oh, did you? <laughs> it was really dumb. Um, was it what I expected? Uh, I don't even know how to answer that, to be honest, because I can't remember back to what it was. I think I – But even like, now. Well – I think Michelle and I are the, the friend that you and I have the group chat with. I think she and I definitely, when we were both pregnant at the same time, I don't think we realised how much the lack of control that we would have over what type of kid we got yeah. and what they would do, like whether they sleep, whether they don't sleep. I didn't blah, even blah, think blah. that but, hadn't even like – I didn't even know that was a thing to think about. Yeah, totally. I just thought it all came down to your parenting. Yeah, me too. Guess what doesn't? I know. Um, Huge <laughs> Yeah. So I think that was a bit of a shock. Um, but I think I just expected it would change me, and it has. Mm-hmm. And I think on by and large for the better. Um, and I still think that change is just going to be ongoing, and so it's hard to know. But mm-hmm. it's interesting talking to you now because, yeah, you haven't seen me since having Harriet. And do you think I've changed? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Wow, that was a really close question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for a journal, that wasn't your I know, best I just work. Like, turned it all around. Yes, next. <laughs> um, no, I do. I do think you've changed, um, and it's the the changes are easier for me to see now that I'm seeing you in person. Like mm. we we have contact probably most days, mm. or at least every second day. Mm. Um, but it's different texting than having you sit in front of yeah, me. Yeah, that's so true. 
Yeah, and because, like because stolen also phone the, calls between naps and yeah. yeah, all those things. And those, I think, the changes are hard to um, to describe because it's more of like how you feel. Mm. Yeah. But I think, yeah, in terms of visit what you expect and change, yeah, change, I just knew that, yeah, it would change me and it is. It has and it is mm. and it will continue to do so, I think. How has the parenting you received affected how you parent? I think that's another constant ongoing, you know, yeah. evolution as well. Um, I think I think there are positives and negatives. Like I think most, I imagine most people would think about the, their parents and the way they were parented and think there are things they want to take and there are things they want to leave. Mm. Um, and I love my parents dearly and they, they were fantastic and, you know, did their absolute best. Um, I think in terms of like things I that I'm really conscious of is my dad was worked so hard and I didn't – and it was also of the generation I think. Yeah. And I never saw him for really long periods. Like he'd leave the house, you know, before I woke up or as I was waking up what to go to work. Do? He was a, um, a town planner but a, right. a consultant. And he worked all over Australia and he worked all overseas and so he just travelled heaps mm. and worked a lot. Um, and also played a lot of cricket, which would, you know, <laughs> I mean, he wasn't around on weekends. And then that evolved into golf. Um, but he, yeah, he was just away a lot. And it was because he, you know, he loved his work, but he also had to work, um, you know, really hard to run his business. And I think I just don't want to be, I, I want to be around for Harriet more, which is, and that's a really real proposition of, concern in my life because of as I've discussed my work can involve a lot of travel and a lot of absence and really long days so trying to reconcile how to knowing that that you know I just I just feel like I didn't know my dad that well like I could have known him better if he was around more when I was younger and so I think yeah that's something that I think about a lot how am I going to make that work and that might be the you know the tipping point when I do go back to my you know reporting job if I'm not able to be around you know, when she needs me or enough, maybe I'll just, that's the end of it, you mm. know, because I know what it's like to have a parent that's not around as much as you want them to mm. be. Um, so that's that. And then with my mum, the one thing I think that's, you know, that springs to mind with my mum is my, you've also known my mother for 30 years. She's an incredibly stylish woman. Um, <laughs> she's painfully she's a, stylish. A, a, a tremendously well-dressed uh, woman um, and, yeah, hats off to her. Um, but, you know, that's something that's important to her. Um, for me, I couldn't give a hoot, uh, you know, whether I roll out of the door in my tracksuit pants and my grubby T-shirt and haven't brushed my hair in days. You unless really nice today. Thanks, Joel. Um, you know, I think it's a backlash to being on camera for work. It's just like <laughs> if I'm not on camera, I don't care. Um, and I just, I just, I really don't care. And I think growing up, I mean, you and I went to a private school. I think, you know, a, a, what you look like and all that stuff, it, it did have a really negative impact on me um, up until, you know, the last couple of years, I suppose, like, you know, worried about what you look like and how much you weigh and but all that stuff has just consumed so much of my life. And I don't think it's all down to, I'm not saying it's all down to my mother, but like it's a whole, you know, um, combination of factors, I guess. And I just don't want that for Harriet. And so I think that's one thing I'm really conscious of is I just, and I don't know how to do that, but I just want Harriet to, um, 
Yeah, not worry too much about what's on the outside and just, you know, care about what's on the inside mm. of people and herself. Mm. What's something empowering that you would say to uh, new mums? Any mums? Any mums. Um, I, a lot of people when she was little would s- tell me some variant of enjoy it while they're little, it goes so fast or it's such a lovely age or, you know, make the most of it. Something Wait till they're this. Yeah, but just that enjoy it. Like it was a real kind of, you know, make sure you enjoy it. I think it's okay if you don't enjoy it when they're little. <laughs> I think it's okay if you don't enjoy some minutes, hours, days, weeks, months. It's okay if you don't enjoy the whole year of when they're first born. I think that's okay. Um because as I said, I, like I'm enjoying it more and more actually um, and I hope that's the case for a lot of people. But I did feel there was a bit of a pressure. I was like, why am I not enjoying this, you know, being sleep deprived, not knowing what to do, having a screaming baby, um, you know, not feeling like the best version of myself. And so I would just say, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't enjoy it. You don't have to. You hopefully will eventually. But, you know, if you feel like shit, that's okay. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to. Oh, that's good. I'd find that empowering. Mm. And just don't listen to anyone. <laughs> just don't listen to what other people say. Yeah. Um, yeah, just feel what you feel. Um, yeah, and you'll, you'll get there in the end. That's not very inspiring. <laughs> no, I think it, it doesn't. It's realistic. Yeah, maybe. Been so nice. Oh, it's been lovely, Chatty. <laughs> but it has been lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Getting over my first time interviewed nerves. Yes, that's it. I'm honoured. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very honoured to be the, the first interviewer. Thank you so much for chatting with me, Steph. If you'd like to learn more about Stephanie and the work she does, there are some links in the show notes to her bio page at the ABC and also to her Twitter account. Mummification is produced and hosted by me, Brodie Matner. Our beautiful music is composed by Ben Talbot Dunn. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You'll be notified when a new episode is released and it helps us reach new audiences, which in turn will hopefully help more women feel less alone. Thanks for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan 
turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.